0: Rising up the situation, now comes in with an atmosphere line, cuts in front, it's two to score!
1: you yes the sportscasters are back <laughs> absolutely like really back yeah not like last week but really back right yes, yes. uh it is january 26th and we are back My christmas mom's birthday man christmas is great huh oh yeah happy birthday june yeah love june hope she's feeling well she's good she's thinking good. about her uh yeah we um we don't know why it took this long i don't but it just did. It just every week we're like, let's you know do it this day and this day, and it just never, it never clicked. And I mean, people who listen to the Lonely End of the Rink know that Adrian and I had the same problem. So I don't know, it was something in the air, I guess, in January, and it took us off our groove. But I was looking back at last year, and we did we did a shitload of podcasts from February to May. Yeah, we just got in. A groove and made a run
2: that's probably right i mean there's not as many holidays that like take you away for a, a week
1: or and whatever. yeah there's no football but that also means it gives a, I feel like it opens up the booking a little bit you don't feel like you're a slave to football as much
2: that's probably when we get guys in like uh the guy that does the the, the video game book i can't think of his name yeah blake harris blake harris yep. yeah yeah that type of followed me yes. on
1: instagram today did he <laughs> uh yeah someone like him or you know, Brett Martin, the guy who wrote uh, the book about the uh, anti-hero in television yes. shows. yeah. You know, or we get to do things like that. Uh, you know, hopefully we could try to get, like, wall back. You know, uh, it's just, you know, you, when you don't feel like you're a slave to football, uh, it feels like it opens up the show a little bit.
2: Now, before we get into three things. Yeah, we got time are, to talk about Are you going to do, like, are three things going to be kind of standard this week? Like
1: Relatively standard, yeah.
2: Okay. Part of me was a little bit relieved because I was going to uh, I'll throw myself under the bus here. I didn't watch a second of the World Juniors <laughs> or a second of the uh, the NCAA Football championship. Like I realized the world Juniors were on like after I saw the tweets about how great a game it was or whatever. Yeah like, I was, oh man.
1: The funniest thing about that admission is they are both absolute classics.
2: Yes, I know yeah, <laughs> right.
1: I mean the the national championship game. He's, you know, one of the best of all time. You know, it's, like, right up there with Texas USC. And, you know, it's been put at that Right, and that Watson's
2: draft status. I mean, he was going to get drafted regardless, but.
1: He had a night. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, he had a night. And he did it against the best. Yep. I mean, that Alabama defense is going to have, like, you know, five guys drafted. I did tell my brother, Anthony, that, to go back on this for a second, I did say to him that. I loved Oklahoma's chances against Auburn if they were ever to get that four spot. Alabama? or Okay. You know, as things were falling apart for the college football season at the end there, and it's like if Oklahoma were ever to get four, I'd love their chances against Alabama because I know we could score. Okay. You know, and I didn't love Alabama's chances in a shootout. And I think what happened to Alabama in that game is they got in a shootout and when you get in a shootout, it turns to offense, and the best player in that game, obviously, when it came to offense, was Watson, and it it, it just it, it set up where there was a chance for him to take it over. And plus, I think you go into that game if you're Dabo, and you say to him, "Hey, Watson, you know if you don't let them score seven, we can probably outscore them. If you don't let that defense score seven, right, we'll probably outscore them offensively, you know." And that was because everyone let the Alabama defense get the cheap seven all year long. You know, they were getting a pick six here, a pick six there. And, yes, Miss Paula is with us.
2: <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that picked up. I don't know. But baby cute. Paula
1: is chilling on the ground, eating toys, podcasting with the boys.
2: But, yeah, so I missed, I missed those so two those. games. So you missed that. That was a good games. one. And, uh, and the I, World
1: Juniors was so fun. Yep. You know, except until t- it goes to a shootout, which sucks. Right. I mean, it's great that we won, but I'm not going to be like Canadian people right now and try to pretend like I love it. I hate After, it. After, what was yeah. that? After uh, Jonathan Taves scores, the American great. Or a Canadian hero. They loved it. But then, yeah. and it's funny too, because the greatest chance it has to be changed is now. Now that it hurt Canada in Canada. <laughs> right. You know, uh, that I heard they were
2: ripping on the last shooter too. I heard Canada got on the last shooter a little bit. Despite you know, the fact that the other kids didn't score either. You know
1: who he is? No. He's the kid who got drafted third instead of... Of the other cool Finnish kid, yeah, yeah
2: by uh, Columbus or somebody, right? Yeah, like, yeah, they got cute a little bit. Yeah,
1: that's who that is. So the wow. third pick in the draft, I mean, you can't ask for more if you're Canada, right? And by the way, that United States team didn't have, obviously, didn't have Austin Matthews, right? Didn't have um, to Chuck. Would Eichel still be Eichel? Eichel, old? Too, Eichel so McDavid too old. They're both too old. Okay, but um, to Chuck, right? Uh, Matthews and uh, a third guy who i can never remember who the third guy is but there's three big it might be uh, Roransky R- would be the third guy uh defenseman for Columbus okay uh who would you know is a strong chance to be rookie of the year although now he's hurt so Matthews and Lane well it would have been hard for a defenseman to beat Matthews and Lane anyway but Roransky as of right now would be the third guy on that list when they break it to three you know right but uh yeah, so a great tournament and there's plenty of talk about it on the Lonely End of the Rink podcast.
2: I haven't I i I don't tweet that often, but I have been watching football. Not as much as usual. Yeah, we'll get it's into been, that. Okay.
1: We'll get into that for sure. Um anything oh, can we make uh can we talk about your excitements?
2: About my new job? Yeah. Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, so Don got a new job. Uh I don't know what that means for us. Probably not much. We'll find up
2: a- Yeah, scheduling might be a little tougher because I'm not right around the block anymore yeah
1: where is the new job it's
2: uh nobody's gonna know where it is but it's in williamsville
1: williamsville yeah which is weird because don't you work for the town of amherst it is yeah <laughs> but the amherst
2: municipal building like where we had to get our like when we got married we had to get our right right stuff there it's in williamsville for yeah. whatever reason yeah
1: well don got a new real job so congratulations to don yeah thanks um did anything else like outside of the world of sports relative to this podcast happen
2: not that I can think of.
1: Superfan Ford is back. I saw him tweeting a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I don't know where the hell he's been, but he's Maybe back. He took a break. Yeah, he took, had to cool off. Took a couple of year hiatus. <laughs> uh, but he's back. Uh, all right, let's do three things.
3: Let's play a game. All right.
1: Yeah. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this
0: is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did
1: we just become best friends. Yep. Now let's move on to other business. You know one thing lost in all the chatter about being together for another season here. they so yeah. didn't mention who's on the, the show. Oh no. <laughs> so uh Luke Wynn will join us from Sports Illustrated talk college basketball it's his 10th time on the podcast and i think for basically for five years straight he's been on right around before super bowl to talk about what's been going on in college basketball when everyone's not been paying attention right. and then a second time to talk about the tournament uh so he'll be here to do it it's something we do pretty much every year and john lopez uh who is a huge name in sports radio in houston Uh, will join us to talk about how uh, the sports world will basically meet up in Houston for the Super Bowl. And that can lead us to the first thing, which is the NFL playoffs, which, uh, to coin a wrestling term, have been the drizzly shits. They've been
2: (laughs) – yeah. That's what I was saying. I – I haven't watched all of them, but part of it isn't that like I forget it's on or I was pulled away from the TV. Is like I would check into the game. It would be terrible. Like there were there was one like one and a half good games in this entire playoffs. I would argue.
1: Uh, yeah, I'll give it two. Um, that the two games Sunday night of the division round were both good. Uh, obviously, the Dallas and Green Bay game That's was the best an one. epic. Yeah, yep. And then the next best game was Pittsburgh and Kansas City. I guess the thing that wasn't great about it is there's it's a lot, lot of, of field star. goals.
2: Yeah, there's not a lot of star power. I mean, there is on Pittsburgh's side, I guess. But, like, if you're a fantasy football fan and then you tune into that game, there's not a lot on Kansas City's side. And, like you said, a lot of field goals in on that one.
1: But it was interesting to watch Andy Reid blow it. <laughs> <You> <laughs> that know. was kind of his thing in Philly, too, right? Yeah, so oh, it's his of, thing, for sure. Yeah, he yeah. had that. mismanaging the clock. Yep. And, you know, not doing an onside kick and, you know, all the wonderful things that led to, I mean, a wonderful regular season being pissed down the drain. You, I, I thought for sure when that game got moved, because remember that game was supposed to be at 1 o'clock and it got moved to 840. Because of weather. Because yeah. of weather. It's like, wow, that that's going to play out great for them. You know, because they're at home. You know, they're not sitting around in a hotel for seven extra hours. You know, they're just chilling at home.
2: You know what hurt the playoffs this year, too, is uh, –
1: Bad day be- the
2: day before the Sabers start their season, Jack Eichel gets a high ankle sprain, like in a just a yeah. freak accident. Oakland finally gets back to the playoffs, right? And they lose a game they would never have lost otherwise. And then you could have watched David Carr. I mean,
1: right? Not having David Carr killed that game, yeah. And then of course you know Houston gets in
2: and they play New England.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Houston gets to win that. G- so let's start from the right. beginning. So Wild Card Weekend commences. And the very first game of the playoffs is Houston, who is the last of the three teams in that division. You'd want to see, right? Yeah. You'd much rather see Tennessee and Mariota, or Indianapolis and Luck. I feel like but, that um, Houston. I
2: mean, that, I I was shocked at the end of the year to find out that they were well, whatever a ten win team.
1: No, they didn't win that many. It wasn't even they were nine nah. and seven. Or yeah, I think okay. they were nine and seven. So they get so they get in, and then they get to play a twelve and four team at home, but that twelve right. and four team. Doesn't have their QB, so they win that game. Doesn't have their backup QB, right? Yeah, he play? got hurt the week before right. as well. So they were playing Connor Cook, yeah, who was playing his first ever game in the NFL. Yeah. yeah.
2: I remember saying after Carr got hurt, I said, who is their backup?
1: A McGowan? Or a McG-
2: yeah, yeah. I'm like, this kid has a good offensive line in front of him, a good running game. A nice shot. Really good receivers. Right. This kid could make himself some money this right. week or with a win, a win a game or two in the playoffs. But then he gets hurt. <laughs> he gets it's hurt. like."
1: Ah, and just, you want to say like, hey, maybe they should have protected him a little bit, but they couldn't in the sense that he had to get out there and play because he hadn't, hadn't played, played all year, right? You know, so it's not like you can just, you know, say, hey, we're gonna bubble wrap you till playoffs. They, he had to get a chance to get out there. Yeah, so then that game ends up being shit. Uh, what was the just other a lot of wild, Yeah, blowout after blowout. Yeah. What I mean, Green Bay blew someone out, right? Wild card weekend. Who did they blow out? Uh, they blew someone out to go to Dallas. To get to go to Dallas. Was it the Giants? That was the Giants. Yeah. Yeah, the Giants just kind of no-showed that game. They are never in it. You know, just kind of a slow... Just just never there. Just never a part of it, really.
2: Odell Beckham's getting crushed, or got crushed about that game. And he wasn't good, but, I mean...
1: Yeah, I don't know. He he had some big drops. Yeah. You know, the Sunday night game, that or Saturday night game, was the Seahawks blowing out the Lions. Yep. You know... The Lions were another team that kind of faded down the stretch, barely snuck in. The Lions the Lions had the spot the Saints could have had if they could have kicked field goals. You know, or <laughs> sure. or right. four other N- NFC teams saying, right. hey, they had the spot that we could have had if we didn't X, X, X whatever the case the is. The Redskins don't tie a game. Maybe the Redskins, you know, are, yeah. hey, if we didn't blow that game, that could have been our spot, <laughs> whatever. So the Lions, you know, backed in, get beat up. In an impossible place to win a night playoff game. I don't know if you heard Bill Burr. Bill Burr was on. (laughs) Bill Burr's making the rounds. I don't know if maybe his Netflix show is doing a season two or something. Oh, okay. But he's making the rounds, and he was on Dan Patrick's show talking about how if the Patriots ever built the stadium that the Seahawks built, it would be a national uh, scandal. (laughs) Because that stadium was built to... Basically have the sound keep bouncing back in. Yeah. You know, and it's just it's and then they get every call. I remember they got every call in the game. That sucks. The Steelers blew out the Dolphins, who are the AFC version of the Lions, right? The team that everyone's saying everyone who didn't make it is saying that should have been our spot. How do we let that team get into the playoffs and not us?
2: Yeah, the AFC kinda had two of those, but some I mean well, I mean someone has to win the South. Right. So Yeah, so you don't put but, that on it. But, but right. Yeah yeah and real
1: then top heavy, real yeah, top and then, heavy like we said, the Packers blow out the Giants, so then we get to divisional week, and we're like, all right, this is always the best week of the year, you know the the pretenders are out, you know I, uh, we're gonna have a great week. It starts out with Atlanta beating seattle thirty six to twenty and it wasn't that close, no, no, it wasn't, you know. Wasn't that close. And then the nightcap is a game you know is going to suck. The 14 and 2 Patriots against the 9 <laughs> yeah, 7 Texans. I don't think I watched the second of that game. 34 16 in a game that was maybe a little closer than that, actually. It was but, close at the half. But never interesting. No, right. You know, it's just.
2: Houston just wasn't. I mean, as good as the Patriots are on offense, and that, I mean, that's all Tom Brady, uh, they are good enough on defense to make it really tough on teams.
1: Yeah, and uh, so that was that was the shits, and then like we said, then a good Sunday, finally a good Sunday. So it's like all right, two out of six, and then you go and you look ahead and you're like, great, great matchups for the conference championship yeah, games. Yeah. Oh, these are gonna be these are gonna be fantastic. You know, maybe the best collection of four quarterbacks in a conference championship weekend we've ever had. You know, like this is the spin. You know, and then the Packers who went on a run, maybe just ran out of gas. Maybe. I don't know, but it was 24 rip at halftime.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think how bad that team can perform at times just shows how good Aaron Rodgers is. Like, he might. Damashek has always said this, but he might be the best that's ever played. He's, I got a
1: question about him. Hold, it, hold that thought. Okay. We'll finish it out, and I want to come back to him for a second. And then the Patriots really handled the Steelers. Another game, 36 to 17, that wasn't that close. Yeah, I Le'Veon mean, Bell got hurt. Looked like maybe the Steelers' plan was going to be to try to use him a bit, keep Brady off the field, all yeah, that. that sucked. And he I got mean, hurt like the yeah, second carry. That's, that's bad
2: break too. You know, it mean, so, could, could have worked. I don't. I. Th-
1: uh, but, but we'll never know because it was instantly happened right. pretty much. And he came know?
2: back in, but was limping off one pretty carry yeah. pretty
1: much when he came back in. I think he had five total. Really? You know, so yeah, that's brutal. That's, yeah,
2: and I mean, uh, I remember earlier in the year. Some fantasy football talk, you were kind of defending Breeze because people would talk about his home road splits. Like, that's a thing with Ben Roethlisberger. It's an even is, bigger thing. It's than a Breeze, huge yeah. thing with Ben Roethlisberger. He's like near the top of the league and like 24th on the road. So,
1: well, here's what I wanted to say about Rodgers when I wanted to go back to him. At halftime of that NFC Championship game, were you mad at him for making that throw in Dallas?
2: Oh, the Hail Mary?
1: I don't know. What do you mean? Well, I just mean I was thinking like there's a certain amount of were, luck to that. They were I mean, the most injured team in the playoffs. Yeah. Right. Especially by that point. Like every wide receiver they had was like Jordy Nelson's out there in a Kavlar vest. Right. You know, Adams had rolled his ankle in yeah, that game year. before. Yep. You know, everyone is hurt on that team. They're, they're they're just they just weren't a team that could compete with Atlanta in Atlanta. You know, but Atlanta in Dallas, it's just, I think, a much oh, better okay. game. Oh, okay. I see what you're you know? saying. And I'm just thinking, like, man, if Dallas could have just survived, they got to go win in overtime then. We don't know what would happen. Okay, that's fair. But, I thought you
2: were making a statement about Rodgers. No, okay. Rodgers
1: is amazing. But All I right. was mad at him for, making, for being so amazing on that play because – I'm not saying I'm not. I don't want to diminish what Atlanta's done because that'd be easy for me to do because everyone knows how much I hate them. But they're an unbeliev Their offense is unbelievable at home, and yeah, you know. Sure. And it might have been just as good in Dallas, but I don't think there's much of an argument to be made that Atlanta doesn't at least have a harder time getting through Dallas in Dallas than they did Green Bay, a really injured Green Bay. Yeah. Who's on the run they're they're on a run that's about to bust one way or another, right? I mean when you get to eight games in a row, they were four and six. So they're four and six. They finished ten and six and then won two playoff games. Right. You know, they were they were due.
2: Yeah, yeah, I hear that. Uh plus the Cowboys, I mean the Packers have zero running game. So I mean to slow that offense that they, they couldn't slow the offense down. They couldn't keep uh, Rodgers on the field. Yeah, that's the thing. They have he no running game and right. they have no running, healthy receivers. They're running a guy that has a wide receiver number.
1: They needed uh, Aaron Rodgers to be able to do the Mr. Perfect thing. You remember Mr. Perfect from wrestling? Yeah. Yeah. So they used to do these vignettes for him where they would show him being perfect. Okay. Right? And there was one where oh, like he's yeah, okay. bowling, <laughs> sure. you know, and he gets a perfect game and he throws a bullseye and darts. Well, then they did him again a few years later, but this time it was to make him a, a face as opposed to a heel. Okay. And they did a football one where he threw himself a touchdown pass <laughs> to show how perfect he was. So they needed that from yeah. Rodgers. Really. Yeah. Which, as good as Rodgers is, I don't think he can.
2: No, I think in fa- I think he really masks a lot of the Packers' problems. That defense is not good, despite having guys with, like, long hair out there. and You know, like – Their uh, corners are terrible, and their receivers, I think, are pretty average. I mean, Jordy Nelson's a good receiver, but I think beyond that, he is going to make some of those guys on wide receivers a lot of money.
1: And Jordy Nelson doesn't have the breakaway speed to make the long plays that he did before his knee injury. Right. You know, like, he had a great season. He had a, a billion touchdowns, and I think they were all, like, shorter than 10 yards. Oh yeah, yeah. You know he is a red zone star because he runs beautiful routes, right. Which makes it.
2: And he used to be fast, right? But he like tore real yeah. Like people would say like, yeah. It was, we were we were talking before uh, about that highlight before we came out about Jack Eichel has is like the fastest guy in the ice, but it's kind of deceptive. I think Jordy Nelson gets that a little bit, maybe because he's white. Uh, people don't expect him to blow by him, but that was what he used to do. But yeah, with the after the injury,
1: well. This is what we're going to do. Next week will be the Super Bowl Spectacular. Now, we always joke about how it's the hardest show to book. Yeah. Because what we try to do is get a guy from Atlanta, a guy from New England, and then someone in the middle and cover it three different ways. And sometimes we've pulled it off, and sometimes the Super Bowl Spectacular would feature, like, Lee Jenkins and some other guy that have nothing to do with football because I just couldn't pull sure, it off. Right. But as we stand right now, in an hour and 15 minutes, I'm interviewing Mark Bradley, mm-hmm. columnist from the Atlanta Journal Sentinel, which I, I think is their paper. Uh, so we got the Atlanta side locked. Nice. So now I just got to get a New England guy, and I think it'll be Kerry. I think I'll oh, okay. get Kerry, you know, for that. So hopefully we got a New England guy in our repertoire. So hopefully that should be easy. Uh, and then we'll find someone to be. The middle man right that's that's yeah. the easy part usually so i feel good about the super bowl spectacular actually being the super bowl spectacular nice. next week so and right, that
2: was a long first thing so yes so moving be...
1: on to number two baby's
2: rolling out of the studio yeah. <laughs> she's traveling if
1: paula's reaction to this podcast is any indication of our quality we're in trouble yeah she started sitting right next to the mics she tried to roll right on the, the ground room. and right now she's like in the bathroom <laughs> Number two, the NHL all-star game is this weekend. We've right. talked about all the sporting events you've skipped. Is there any chance you make time for this one?
2: You know what? It, it's, it's a bad, it's bad on me, but I always get to the all-star game. I don't know why. I don't know why. Uh, I love the skills competition, even though they need to find a way to speed things up in between the, the competitions. I, I don't know if it's takes that long because they, they're setting up whatever, uh, sensors and crap like and that. And last
1: year they did a Zamboni. Did they really? Yeah, they had everyone go off and did the ice oh, and come back. It's just
2: it's too long in between, and then you're making weird conversation. And they got rid of the Breakaway Challenge, which everyone kind of liked a little bit because it was silly, but for some reason they're not doing that. Is that year. the
1: one where they judge it? Yes. Okay, I'm glad that's gone, you actually. You know what, I
2: didn't like the actual... I... <laughs> I like to see the player's character, but I guess in as like a slam dunk competition which I think is what they're trying to do it was bad right like, it just didn't work for that
1: the funniest thing was like seeing Ovechkin's Russian humor not translate <laughs> like, that was like about the best thing about it
2: but I like the draft I don't know if the, I don't think they do that anymore no what
1: they do is each division has a team and they play a three on three tournament oh that'll be cool so let's say the metropolitan divisions team starts, and they'll play the Pacific. They play a three-on-three, 20-minute game, or however long, and whoever wins that then goes to the finals against the winner of the three-on-three game in the other division.
2: Now, everyone in the NHL has a representative, right? Is that the way that works? Yes. That's why Akposo made it, probably? Yes. You surprised Eichel didn't make it?
1: Yeah, I would just send Eichel.
2: I mean, he was hurt, but his numbers are still phenomenal for Don't. the games he's played.
1: I would just send Eichel. I would just send Matthew. I mean, I would just send the All-Stars. Right. I wouldn't be as focused on like that season.
2: It's one thing if Ocposo had 25 goals at this point or something ridiculous but
1: yeah, I think if it's even debatable, you send the bigger star. Right. That's just my theory on it. But whatever. All right, last thing. Oh, and this weekend is also the AHL All-Star game and we got to give a shout out to our friend Kenny Agostino. Oh, sweet. Uh who will be there it's representing? Can we Yeah. Chicago Wolves. I don't know what the deal is with the AHL All-Star Game and its television rights. I would hope so. He's tearing it up again then, huh? Oh, he leads the league in scoring. It's nuts. By 13, I think.
2: When is he going to get a shot? Like a real shot? I
1: don't know, but they called up a forward today and it wasn't him. Wow. It was a center, so I don't know if maybe it's a center thing, but, man, you figure, I mean, you got to figure if you're fading like the Blues are.
2: I was going to say, I forget where he was. That's right, St. Louis. You know,
1: you're barely in the playoffs. You're hanging on to a spot. Wouldn't your fans say, like, hey, we have the leading scorer in the AHL? He's got 13 points more than anyone. Right. Why don't we give him a game at least? Especially at his age. He's young. Let's see what he has, but they don't want to. I mean, yet. there are
2: guys, and I would never say this about Kenny, but there are guys that are just too good for the NHL, but not good enough for the. Yeah. Or too good for the AHL, not good enough for the NHL, but he's never even been given a shot. Like, they no. they can't, Blues can't claim it. that's what is going on with him.
1: Right. They don't know yet. No. So. Anyway, but Kenny will be there. Best of luck to him. He's our boy. Uh, all right, last thing. So, the Australian Open. It's the first major of the tennis season. Did you notice what's happening with us right now, Don?
2: I heard like you. It's like storybook. I don't remember. Like, yeah, it's all the old people. Yeah, so like
1: Venus, right? Yeah, Venus made a final, uh, oh. and she's going to play Serena.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Which is going to be. Difficult, Talk. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did hear today that nobody's beaten Serena as many times in majors as and Venus. Venus. Yeah, but she still has a huge losing record. It's like four and ten or something, or five and ten. Or, yeah, you know. So that's on the women's side, uh, and Federer uh, is also in a final.
2: Nice. It's Anthony's guy, right? Wasn't he a Federer guy?
1: Yeah, I think everyone loves Federer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He beat Wawrinka last night, so he'll get to play in the all Swiss final on Sunday. So it's an all American final the on Williams. the women's side, yep. an all Williams sister final, right? Um, and then, uh, oh wait, no. So Federer beat Wawrinka, who is also Swiss. Uh, and they play the winner of the last semi uh which is Nadal uh versus Dimitrov on Friday night. So that's tonight while we're in bed. So Yeah. My guess is Federer is probably hoping for Dimitrov, but that's a very un uneducated guess. But it's amazing uh just to see Federer you know consistently Getting to these ma- these finals, he hasn't won. But like in his last five, his last five majors, he's made like four finals, three finals, four finals. Yeah, and he's he's Thir- our age. Yeah, he's thirty five years old. And in tennis, that's like a hundred. Right. That's
2: what I was gonna say. People retire in their tw- like their late twenties.
1: You know. And it was a five setter, but then now it's he's got till Sunday. Just, he got he got lucky with the schedule a little bit. You know, he's one win away from his 18th Grand Slam. It'd be his first in five years. Um, But, man, unbelievable career. Unbelievable career. Yeah, for sure. All right. So that's that. So did we decide who we think? Let's just go to Luke. Yeah, I figured it would be Luke. All right. So we'll take a break, and we'll come right back with Luke Wynn. All right, our next guest is from Wisconsin and is graduate of the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern. He lives in Brooklyn and covers college basketball for Sports Illustrated, where he still writes the best power rankings column on the internet. He's making his 10th appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to our friend, Luke Wynn. What's up, Luke?
3: Hey, how you doing? What's the, uh, what's the award for 10 Is there something? To get something? Yeah,
1: it's a plaque. <laughs> it's a beautiful sil- like you, s- silver plaque.
3: You do all right. Yeah, if you do SNL ten times, they usually pay, they pay
1: attention. Yeah, like, you and, gotta have something, and we have something yeah. at least as nice as that. All right, wonderful. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Uh, I'll look forward to. That. Yeah, it would come. It comes, uh, you know, uh, bubble wrapped, and uh, they'll bring it right to you. I think uh, we use UPS, so. Perfect.
3: Perfect. I'll yeah. sit here and wait.
1: How you doing, Steve? Good. I'm doing good, buddy. I feel like we do this. One of the reasons we have ten times is probably every five over the last five years. We talk around now, and we talk in March, and we talk around now because it's my perception, and maybe the perception of a lot of people, and and it's certainly my reality that now is about when people look up and say, "Oh shit, we got a college basketball season going down." and i got to figure out what's going down in it. And it's been a little different this year because there's been some troublemakers like uh, like the kid from Duke everyone hates, uh, Grayson Allen. And uh, there's been things like that. But I, I really believe to a large extent that it's this week when football dies down for a second that everyone picks their heads up and says, all right, let's do this, college basketball. Absolutely. Yeah,
3: that's really sad though, because it's been such a good season so far. Honestly, like, I mean, I know that the Grayson Allen stuff rises to this level that it, you know, reaches national news. But I feel like if you are just jumping in now, you, you know, you should, you should be excited because it's been a really good season so far. I feel like there is a lot of exciting stuff going on uh, and storylines beyond that. There is some, I feel like there is some really entertaining players this year, maybe more so than we had last season. Between guys like. Um, You know, guys like Alonzo Ball and Malik Monk uh, and Josh Hart's having an incredible year. Um, There's a lot of guys like Frank Mason. There's a lot of guys I had a lot of fun watching this season, and I feel like there have been some excellent games, and we're kind of set up for a pretty wide-open tournament with a lot of good teams
1: in it. Well, I think one thing that's changed over the last five or ten years is that November has become such a great month for college basketball. You know, I mean, there's always so many great matchups, it seems like, in November. Uh, teams are playing, you know, the powerhouses are playing each other early in the year, before conference play starts. So it seems like a, it's more of a trend than maybe it used to be, at least by, yeah, my, by I perception. Again,
3: look, I feel like there's still there still could be even better ways to open the college basketball season with like bigger market games. But I think that we're making a bigger effort in November to have to have some great stuff happen. I mean, like you kicked off the season with. Um, that Kansas Indiana overtime game on the opening, on uh, you know the opening day, which I thought was excellent. Uh, you, you've had I think a lot of like classic games early, like the Kentucky Carolina game uh, in Vegas, UCLA Kentucky, uh, Duke Kansas. I mean, you've had some some really strong finishes early on. Um, I do feel like uh, you know it's nice that. We're getting Kansas, Kentucky this weekend too. Uh, I mean, I feel like they—they found a, between this like Big Twelve, SEC challenge, planting it later in the season. You're also like creating some marquee games that are are good for the sport on a weekend when, finally, there's no NFL.
1: Right. You and your colleagues at SI sat down and kind of regroup midseason regroup. And you laid out North Carolina, Kansas, Villanova, and Oregon as your final four. How much is that a change from what you started with?
3: Ooh. um, I think I started, I think I had Duke when I started the year, for sure. Um, I I think I had, ooh, I think I had Duke, Villanova. I think I may have a Duke, Villanova, Carolina, Oregon. So I think I just changed. I think I just swapped out Duke. Um, You know, as much as, I don't want to write off Duke yet because, a lot of talent there. You know, Coach K is going to come back. They they have time to figure things out. I mean, they if you remember when they won the 2015 title,
1: yeah, I was just thinking they that. were in
3: seri- they were in serious crisis. You know, and <laughs> the there are games where their defense looked like just a total disaster, <laughs> not befitting of a title team, and they got it together down the stretch. But this is a little different in that you feel like maybe there's some underlying chemistry issues that won't be resolved just like the way the season's played out i mean the hierarchy there it doesn't seem to work right now like grayson allen comes into the year being this projected national we had him projected as the you know front runner in the national player of the year race and due to you know various things like injuries uh maybe just playing under his normal level, the, all the psychological stuff around the tripping thing. That's obviously kind of like affected him. Uh, he, uh, you know, and, and he's brought it on himself. Uh, he, he hasn't been the star that people thought Luke Kennard has kind of emerged as a star, but hasn't been given that full role. Um, lately, Jason Tatum, who is a projected lottery pick is taking a big share of the offense, but kind of, doing it in an isolation way that's stalling everyone. I don't, it just doesn't seem to like all fit together that well. Um, they can get healthier and better, but that's why I moved them out of my projected Final Four. Just to, it doesn't seem to fit. I don't know if it can get all the way fixed.
1: You know I'm a hockey guy. I grew up playing hockey. My, I come from a hockey family. You gotta kind of explain to me why in hockey, a guy trips a guy. It's a two-minute penalty. Everyone moves on. In basketball, I mean, I've seen these Grayson Allen trips and I, mean, I don't even think the guy's he trips skin their knees and they the perception of this guy is that he's the most evil guy to ever walk on the basketball court. You have to kind of explain to me why why he's such a villain. I guess I don't I don't totally get it. I mean, I get it if it's I mean, just that he's the white kid on Duke and they're always the villain. But I mean, if it's think, really about this tripping, I don't get it.
3: No, nah, I don't th- I don't think it's a it's like people viewing tripping as a new crisis in the sport i mean no one has been hurt uh i people are predisposed to dislike him already and i think that there's a certain amount of like <laughs> this just kind of fuels it like it's just kind of a natural see i don't know i've never i haven't been someone who has gone out of my way to write about it or spend a lot of time like I'd rather I've covered other stuff because I don't view it as anywhere near to be the like national controversy that it is. Like I I don't I don't think it was like wrong that he got briefly suspended, um, but it's not it shouldn't be the number one topic that is going on in college basketball right now.
1: Right. So if he plays at Oklahoma, no nobody really has cared about it, which just kind of was a blur.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't think that it's anywhere
1: near. It's just a small thing. Now, you know I love the power rankings column you do every week, and last week you wrote you did it a little different in the sense that you did it in the likelihood of the teams winning the national championship, and the number one team you have is Kansas. Why is Kansas, in, in, in your opinion, the team most likely to win the national championship as of right now?
3: Well, there's a lot of flawed teams at the top and Kansas is certainly imperfect in that its defense is not up to I guess normal Bill Self standards. But the last four teams that have won the title have done it with these dual point guard lineups. I'm not saying I mean you can you can win the title a bunch of different ways, but it seems like teams like that are better suited for deep tournament runs. Even if they aren't maybe the best team in the regular season, uh, and I think Kansas has the best the backcourt that I trust the most between Frank Mason and Devontae Graham, veteran point two veteran point guards who can kind of score and create. Um, you know they've got NBA talent around them. Josh Jackson could be a top five pick. You know we talked about Jason Tatum earlier. Like Duke, he comes in as a as a wing potential lottery pick, and I feel like he's not fitting that well in the way in the way Duke's offense works right it's kind of slows down but Josh Jackson I think he actually enhances Kansas offense he's not he hasn't been selfish he's a he moves the ball his passing was better than I realized it was coming into the season Um, so that's kind of that's going to help them they're you know they're playing small ball I think that they can they're they're more versatile this way. The defense has got to come along. The defense has still got to get fixed. But I just feel like that's the kind of guard team that has room to improve defensively, um and, and that I trust. But it's not there isn't going to be an overwhelming favorite going to this tournament. I mean, every team like Villanova you like, but they don't defend that well on their really and they're not very deep. Uh, you know, Kentucky, I think that you can see when Malik Monk has really cold shooting nights they can struggle, even if they're great. Gonzaga's stronger than it's ever been, but you know it doesn't have the history of going that deep. So <laughs> I don't feel really safe about Kansas, but that's the one I'm going to take right now.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Villanova in a sense that, you know, 2007 to me feels like it was a week ago, but it's almost 10 years ago, and that's the last time we had a repeat champion in Florida, winning their second. And, and to me, when it, it gets to be that long, and even like if you go before that I mean you got to go quite a ways down to Duke I think in the early 90s this is the one before them to to uh, to repeat so it's obviously a very hard thing to win this tournament in back-to- back years is there you, you kind of laid the case in general about how flawed these teams are in general but what's the case for them to be the team that could finally repeat for the first time since Florida did it
3: well I do I mean I do think that even just beyond like the cliche thing, even analytically I think it's proven that, you know, tournament experience can can matter a lot. And the, the Final Four has become this like not overwhelming but it is this pretty big spectacle that goes beyond those two games you play where you've got like four or five days of events and all this kind of stuff that can tear out a team if they're not used to it and and Phillanova handled it well uh last year you know, Jay Wright had talked about how his first Final Four experience, like he learned from that, and then he like did different things that I think helped his team. And now he's got like a team that everyone's been there. Everyone in that rotation, uh, aside from two, you know, two guys, has been a part of a long tournament run. I think you feel comfortable with guys like Josh Hart and Brunson and Jenkins in big games. Um, and they, you know, they can switch defenses. They have good guard play. It's just that they don't have much. You know, what worries me, they just don't have that much margin for error. Like, they can't suffer an injury and survive. They're playing a seven-man rotation. Phil Booth, who they wanted to be that kind of second point guard this year, um, has been out, and I don't know if he's going to come back. There's a chance he could take a medical redshirt. They haven't decided yet. Um, So they're kind of, they're not playing in their optimal lineup. I think they're, like, getting by, and they also don't. When they lost Daniel Sheffu, uh, you know, who's who made the NBA and was a pretty underrated defender. I think uh, last year, their center, they didn't have, they wanted Omari Spellman, who's, who's like a five-star freshman to fill in for him. He wasn't going to be the greatest room protector, but then once he was kind of ruled ineligible for the season, they don't have defense around the rim um, in the way that they did. And I think that kind of like, it just limits their, def- their defense. They're going to have to go on like one of those crazy offensive runs like they did last year <laughs> to make it. And I don't know if that's possible to do two years in a row.
1: Yeah, I mean, geez, they only beat Oklahoma by, like, 71 or something like that. In the summer, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, they had, they had two those games between the
3: Oklahoma game and the Final Four. But if you go back, like, that game they had against Miami in the Sweet 16, which I think gets forgotten about a little bit just because of, you know, the, all the drama that happened later was incredible as well. Um, and and they also beat what I thought was an excellent Kansas team last year, probably a better Kansas team then. Even the one
1: this year, <laughs> I remember watching it, the tournament yeah. and thinking, "Wow, Oklahoma just got a huge break that Villanova would beat Kansas." I mean, for one, because yeah. Oklahoma had already lost to Kansas twice. I mean, I know the one game looks like a classic or whatever, but you know, I just remember thinking, "Wow, they got a huge break," and Villanova would beat them by, like I said, a million. I want to ask you. You said that it's not just a cliche, but that you know, st- the analytics are starting to prove that experience in this tournament. Matters, do you, do you think that's a dome basketball effect that as they get later in the tournament and you, they, you know, you start playing the games in these huge venues with the raised court and in the dome and do you think that's why the experience is starting to analytically show because it's a lot, maybe oh. there's some kind of learning curve to playing in that environment?
3: I think there is. I don't know. It's You know, it kind of varies like whether, I don't know if it's, we have enough of a sample yet to Say for sure that this dome stuff kills shooting or not? I mean, right. it did. It, it was clear that, like, before, I mean, prior to this final four, that dome in Houston had a kind of a bad rep as a bad shooting backdrop. But domes in general, I don't know if the data is there for me to feel comfortable in saying that domes in general for sure suppress offense. Um, I just kind of think that the tournament experience is different, and like can be you know the the final four thing when you arrive and there's like tons of media stuff there's all these like other you know appearances that you have to make and fan fests and final four salute and and you can see teams can get worn down if they're not ready for something like that you know i mean hasn't stopped someone like kentucky from doing it but you know their coach had been there before right. they had i think it helps if you have a team that where at least the coach has been through it, <laughs> that that matters to me, with plus the players. We, I'm I'm kind of referring analytically to, we haven't we didn't do it last year with John Azekowitz who used to um, write for the Harvard Sports Analytics blog when we did this kind of bracket called the Survival Bracket where we looked at you know the the riskiness of certain teams in the tournament and we looked at a bunch of factors and what really and it was like you know term experience mattered beating other tournament teams that season mattered you know we looked at efficiency those kind of things and how we'll those certain factors seem to be more indicative of tournament success than
1: other things let's talk about gonzaga for a second because they're set to be the number one team in the country they're undefeated but obviously they play all the way out west and when everyone's asleep out east and we know them because they're this team that's uh, often uh, Cinderella in the tournament, but then again, also they've never been to a Final Four. Um, and you have them eighth on your list last week of teams that you think could win it.
3: I put them. We put out new power rankings today at a one. I mean,
1: switching back to the normal criteria right. of you right.
3: know, today of resume and you know performance, I have that one. But yeah, I didn't have them at one.
1: So tell me about other, tell the, me about them their pros and cons a little bit cuz I don't know a lot about Gonzaga to be honest.
3: Well, this team is I th- I, I called them today the the kings of of post up basketball which is kind of becoming a well has been a, a declining thing in college basketball that kind of pure post up thing as some teams switch to small ball but they they're big man they're they're not I would say, do not imagine them in some classic mid-major sense of having small guys. I mean, they they're centered around. They have a seven-one Polish center named Szymek Karnowski, who I think is the is the best passing center in the country. You know, he he scores in the post, but he also they also work the ball through him and pass out of the post to set up three-point opportunities. And then they bring a McDonald's All-American off the bench and Zach Collins, who's a seven foot freshman who is, you know, kind of the opposite, like a slender more agile center who can do some, who can do a lot of things down there too. Um, And they have, uh, they play two point, you know, when I talked about the two point guard thing, succeeding the tournament that between Nigel Williams, Goss and Josh Perkins, they start two point guards and Nigel Williams, Goss, who started his career at Washington as a five-star recruit played two years under Romar there was their leading scorer, uh, 2015 transferred to Gonzaga. And he's like, he's, a uh, he's looking really good. He's kind of emerged as their leading scorer lately. And he's key. They, um, I wouldn't say he's like a sniper shooter, but he's, he's a good basket attacker distributor. They even use him in a post some when they invert their offense, um, and they've had they've kind of bolstered their international recruiting which had been their core before this with some big time you know major conference conference transfers between Goss from Washington Jordan Matthews from Cal and Jonathan Williams from Missouri um, and that has like i mean they're basically putting out like an elite major conference lineup and they're just throttling the rest of the west coast conference right now even St. Mary's who kind of thought was a would, might be similar to Gonzaga coming into the season, you know, lose them by 23 uh, in mid-January. So they I don't think they're going to get tested much in their league, but they look good enough outside the league. beating They've beaten Arizona, Iowa State, Florida, Tennessee. Uh, they killed Washington. They are they look pretty strong, and I do think this is probably the best team they're going to ever take into the NCAA tournament.
1: Wow. Putting them aside, who who's another mid-major team or two that you think could make a run in March? Butler is probably the second best mid-major team.
3: Butler Butler no longer is Big East now, so I wouldn't call them. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't define yep, them. I wouldn't right. define them as such anymore. Um, you know that it depends. So I, I guess uh, one one that I like that's way... I mean, I, I'm not going to say this is the second best uh, team from a mid-major conference, but one that I've liked. Uh, is UNC wilmington which i think could be way down the bracket like thirteen fourteen seed but it's probably the best small school offense the best team in the in the colonial athletic conference kevin keats who was a um former louisville assistant has gone there and just like completely turned around that program really fast and uh they play decently fast offense kind of like had play a small lineup a lot of shooters uh i'm i've been impressed with them um i think they could end up in like a 314 game and pull off an upset just just if they stay hot offensively like they take care of the ball they take smart shots um they're they're pretty experienced um that that to me is just like a team name to remember if they become the cinderella
1: the sports guys are here with luke Wynn from sports illustrated sportsillustrated.com it's power rankings column on SI.com has been one of my favorites for years now. And, uh, Luke, let's get you out of here on this. Uh, this makes me really curious. Uh, we sit here at the end of January. We still got a whole month plus until conference tournaments. What are the main stories or storylines or teams that you are going to want to see progress, develop, expand as we get closer to conference tournaments and ultimately the NCAA tournament?
3: well i'm surprised given that you led off the show with the fight song that you had not asked me a northwestern question yet <laughs> for the first time ever they're re- they're extremely relevant and i mean i think that that's a big story man i mean they're going to be they haven't there's they're not a team that deserves to be top 25 yet um but they ha- they don't have any bad losses and they really just it looks like northwestern is going to make the ncaa tournament for the first time
1: ever i mean that's kind of Right, Wilban. said he thinks it's the best team they've ever had.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that that's a stretch to say it. They have right now. If you know, if you look at the aggregate bracketology all over the internet, it's they're somewhere between like a six and nine seed. I mean, I think that so it's probably reasonable to say. I would say reasonable to say they're in the seven range right now. They have no bad losses. Um, they look solid. I, I think that they're gonna. You know, Northwestern has screwed things up in the past, but this looks like the team that is the least likely to blow it. Um, there's Scotty Lindsay who kind of came out of nowhere as like this scoring star, uh, made a rare sophomore kind of nobody to junior star jump, and I think that's been a big difference. Um, I think they could get into the tournament as a six seed. I don't know if they're going to be a great tournament team, but just that breakthrough is a... Historic thing, college right. basketball. So, I'm I'm all over that. I,
1: I would be I would be excited to see it. Yeah, I, I, I yeah I I've been listening to I listen I like to listen to Tony Kornheiser's show a lot. Uh, I don't necessarily watch PTI that much because it's a weird time of the day. But uh, yeah, Woban comes on there and just gets so pumped about the team. I mean, he's. he's <laughs> He's a little, He's kind of just in it, pure
3: like and you cheerleader. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Mode. I don't have. I don't have the. I went there, but I didn't really. I know people would assume that he would be really. I mean, uh, it'd be cool to see it happen, but I think that I never really developed that much of like a. I don't. Wouldn't consider. I'm not a fan. You know. Right. Uh, I try not to root for anyone, but I also do. It's kind of when you're there during what is a pretty dead period of basketball. You don't really even as a student, you don't gain that kind of like attachment to a team the way I imagine someone who would have gone to Duke or Carolina or, you know, someone who had gone to a school that had great teams while you were there. I mean, it's kind of, it was, it wasn't hard to like not, not get incredibly attached. I think I'd, I would I just appreciate it as a cool basketball history story. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to see the turnaround finally happen. And and that could be, and then I guess the question is, like, does it stick? Does Chris Collins end up staying there? Because he, if he makes this breakthrough, he then all of a sudden becomes, I think, like a hot name either for a Coach K successor or elsewhere in college basketball. Like if you can turn around Northwestern, which is historically the worst major conference team in a long time, people might. look at him as a rebuild guy at a higher money jobs elsewhere
1: right it's kind of like bobby hurley here in buffalo right i mean he breaks through one of the worst programs i can even think of and then he's he leaves the second the tournament ends and uh yeah Yeah, well and they made it back with his players but i wonder i mean if that was if i mean i i'd assume it's going to go right back in the tank but i guess i'm just being i'm being mean to them but uh you really you think that there's a chance that someone besides uh cable that would be the successor to coach K? well I think that I would say coming into this
3: season, if you polled everyone they'd say, okay, it's Cable, it just seems logical he's been a really valuable assistant good great recruiter uh he was it seemed like it was kind of set up and then but I, I feel like what's happened this year has at least you know, made it less of a a lock because he's taken over in Coach Gay's absence. You know, Duke hasn't looked great in that period of time. Whether you could actually put any, put the real blame on him, I don't know. I mean, I still think he's a good coach, but you've also seen at the same time Collins, who, you know, didn't, he hadn't even taken Northwestern to an NIT before this. All of a sudden he's having this breakthrough, probably going to make the NCAAs. Uh, Steve Wojciechowski, who, also, is you know part of the tree. Also, a big candidate is is seemingly putting Marquette, you know, on the bubble. They just upset Villanova. He's looking good there. So I think you have like other former assistants are all of a sudden putting their names back in the uh, back in the pool. Whereas like realistically, if Collins and Bojo didn't make the NCAA tournaments in their current jobs, it didn't seem like reasonable that Duke would win got gotcha. hire them so if they break through then i think
1: it's back in the mix all right you can find luke on twitter he's at luke Wynn there two ends and of course sports illustrated and sports dot com anything else you want to plug luke
3: that's good man new power rankings up today on the site gonzaga number one read them
1: all right all right it's the best power rankings call on the internet i'm telling you any sport i love it thanks buddy thanks thanks man thanks for on. later on Alright, I want to thank Luke Wynn for being on the podcast today. I love having Luke in, another member of the uh double digit club. Yeah. So
2: I'm so sur- I'm actually surprised it's not more than that with him. You said 10? Yeah, ten? Yeah, ten su- But you said like you said, it's two a year, so
1: yeah, probably two a year for five years. Yep. All right. Uh book club update. Still no books. There was a book announcement that I'm pumped about. Tom Verducci has a Cubs book coming out at the end of March. Oh, okay. And I'm going to be all over that. And it seems like it's about the building of the team.
2: Uh, Like this Cubs?
1: Yeah. Okay. You know, and it's more about the construction of the team that broke through as opposed to like some kind of like recap of the playoffs or something like that. Okay. You know, I don't think that's the intention of the book. Uh, But I was talking last week about how for the first time in a long time, there's really no books like on our radar. Like oh we can't wait for this, this right. or that and now maybe we can put the Verducci Cubs book on our radar. Sure, uh, to whatever degree that the Verducci uh, book excites us. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I've been thinking about it and I thought something cool we could do uh, while we're waiting for something to emerge is look back at former book club books of the month. Okay, uh, and recommend the book, not recommend the book, kind of like a retro review of a past book club book of the month and this week i picked out not only a book club book of the month but a one-time book club book of the year and that's console wars by blake j harris sega nintendo and the battle that defined a generation and if you like video games at all this book is for you uh blake did a fantastic fantastic job researching and writing this book it's really fun it does start as a bit of a business book. You yeah. kind of got to get through the first 125 pages or so where it's really more about how Nintendo became a company, how Sega became a company. And it's really a business book the same way that um, the ESPN book okay. was a business book you know, to a large extent. And it's
2: nonfiction told almost – as fiction. As a narrative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as a narrative, yeah. Yeah, It's,
1: I mean, it's fantastic. The Forward is written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who apparently are backing a documentary for this book as well. Yeah. We haven't talked to Blake in a bit. we got to get an update from him. Maybe I'll reach out. You know, he's an example of a guy who we can get on shortly after not being a slave to football. Right, yeah. You know? uh, so we got to get a hold of Blake and find out what the update is with the documentary. And I even heard that there is a chance – it was going to be a regular film as well. Oh, really? That someone had bought it to make a screenplay. Cool. You know, um, and uh, I thought, look it, I give this book, obviously we named it the Book Club Book of the Year a few years ago, so it's going to get our highest recommendation. Absolutely. You know, but I wanted to segue through this vehicle to a bit of a video game discussion too uh, because I respect your knowledge and opinion on video games. So I bought a PS four from an Asian guy in the parking lot at the gallery mall the day after Christmas. Oh yeah. Like on Craigslist or something. Oh, uh, actually the Facebook Mark Facebook marketplace. Oh, okay. Got it for like 250 bucks. Okay. You know, it felt like a great deal. Um, and I got Madden in an NHL, and I've been having fun, and I like the PS4 a lot. And my PS3 was on its last legs, and I also used it as my DVD player as well. Right. You know, so I feel like it's a really versatile piece of home entertainment. You know, you can also use it for streaming services and things like that as well. Um, so I'm pumped about the PS4, I like it. I know you don't have one. But I also know you were closely monitoring the announcement of the Nintendo Switch. Yes. Uh, So tell me what you know about it, uh, because I'm interested in deciding if I need to have it.
2: I I know a lot of people were underwhelmed with the launch titles. I don't know...
1: Right, the games itself, people were not pumped about, right? Yeah.
2: I I guess there's a lot of question of, like, processing power. I I don't know... I don't know if we'll know about that until it comes out, really. Because it, it, it almost is is like a cross between a mobile device and uh, a system.
1: Right. The concept is, is that you can kind of pick the system up and right. play it in your hand. And then you can also put it, it down right. and use it as a, on the TV. Right.
2: So, I mean, I, I think if you compare it to like a PS4, like it's not going to be a PS4. I, I think it's going to be underpowered again, a little bit. I think the success of it is going to have to do with how third party developers come to it or don't. Um, What's nice is I think like indie developers have an easier time getting onto a system. Like I'm sure they're out there for the PS4 and the, the Xbox also. But So maybe the support for that is there. I know one of the launch titles is uh, The Binding of Isaac, which was is a PC game, and I'm sure it's on other systems too, that I really liked. So I ended up buying it. It was like 40 bucks, which felt a little expensive. But uh, Zelda is going to sell the system right off the bat, the new Zelda that was supposed to be out with the Wii U and never made it just fell down. Uh, but, yeah, people are a little surprised. They showed a real cool-looking Mario game, but it's not going to be out until, I think, like, Isn't ho- like holiday. Is it
1: like Mario meets Grand Theft Auto or something? Well,
2: it kind of looks like that because it's like Mario in a city. And he's... It's it's cool. It looks like an open-world Mario. Like, it, it looks very neat uh, visually. It's it's a, It's an interesting-looking game.
1: Speaking of Mario, I know that Nintendo announced that super mario run is going to come to android yes i got it for iphone and i'll give just a real quick review it's too easy to casually beat okay and probably too hard to like beat in the sense of like collecting all the stars and stuff
2: yeah, I heard you get like three levels or something for free, and then it's like ten bucks. It's ten.
1: I mean, it's just it's ten bucks, right? And if you want to try it, they you can download it for free and play the first three levels. But the game is ten bucks, you know. So I bought the game for ten bucks. No, nope, whatever, no problem. Right. You get it on all your devices or whatever, and um, it looks beautiful on the iPad. The problem is he runs automatically. Right. Yeah. It's like a and yeah. you know so and it, you can get him to go backwards a little bit, but that's hard and like basically there's five stars or coins and everything and you you really supposed to collect each coin and then get to the end of the board but you don't need to collect each coin right. you know it's almost like if you collect 3 then you can play it again to try to get 4 or 5 i mean i beat every single board and all the dragons and stuff
2: yeah the only thing i would say about you can run through it really easily right the thing i would know? say about that is i haven't heard much about it i was really excited for it when it came out even though i didn't have an iphone it was cool that they were It's doing just okay like that. right but i yeah. haven't really it, i mean you still hear more about like pokemon go than you do about it's that. just okay yeah
1: yeah it's just a, it's 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 uh it's just a real it's, it's just okay
2: but yeah i'm excited for the nintendo switch i was kind of pot committed as it is i i don't do it on purpose but i end up with every i've had literally every other nintendo since the you had the wii u I did not have the Wii U. I've had, I had the Wii every U. Every other. Yeah. I see what you mean. Okay. I skip one, get gotcha. the next one. So I skipped the Super Nintendo, which is maybe the best one. But, uh, yeah, I've had every other. And I had – when I when I got my Google Pixel, I got a $100 gift card to Best Buy, and my wife had one. She had nothing to use it for. So it was like $120 for me after the two gift cards. So I was going to get it either way. Oh, you pre-ordered it, you I did pre-order it. Okay. I pre-ordered it, and I pre-ordered – like Best Buy actually has like a decent uh, – it's like 30 bucks for two years, and then you get like 10 or 20% off all new games. Okay. So I I bought that, and then I had some other coupon or something like that. So I, ordered, I pre-ordered it. I got the system itself for like $120, and then I got three games for
1: $111. Well, that's a good thing because it sounds like they're going to do the fake demand again.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work.
1: You know, the, the, the little mini 8-bit Nintendo... Was insane, yeah. I mean, and I heard they're not going to release more, really. Oh, really? They're, like, why don't they just want to sell? Like, I get why you'd want to like make it this fake demand to buzz up interest, but then just let everyone who wants to buy it buy one.
2: Right. Yeah, that's one thing. Speaking of that, that I did over break, uh, our break is uh, I bought a Raspberry Pi. Did you ever hear of those?
1: Yeah, I saw you and Bob both did this. Explain yeah. this to me a little bit. Raspberry
2: Pi is essentially like I think it started as this company that wanted to make it started almost as like a charitable thing that they wanted to make these really inexpensive computers. And it's like a $40 computer that is about a little bit bigger than a credit card. And, uh, you put an SD card in it and it, you have to put like an, a Linux image on there. But, uh, there's a, another group of folks that made this thing called retro which you just install this image onto an SD card. You plug it in and you have this like front end, this like visual display that you can just, Get ROMs for old classic video games and they just work. Like it, it's awesome. It, you you need to be a little bit tech savvy, but if you know somebody that is and they already have like an image, you can just copy their image and you can go and you can just play all the Nintendo games and uh, Super Nintendo games and Genesis. Whatever. Yeah, Genesis. That's I, really cool. Literally any any even old. Uh, there's a thing called DOSBox on there, so you can play old like Windows. 3. And where do you games.
1: play it on your computer or on your TV? It's got an HDMI out, so you, okay, can, so you, you can play it, play it on, on your TV. TV. <laughs> yep. And Very it's got cool. four
2: USB ports, so you can use some old Xbox controllers. And it's, it's awesome. I mean, it takes some tinkering, and you, you do have to be a little bit computer savvy if you want to get – like, okay, the last thing I did that was a little nerdy was uh, you can emulate arcade cabinets. Like, there used to be the old ten, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game. Well, by default, usually those are built for four players. But if you only have – when you hit the start button, it automatically makes you Leonardo. So you have to download, like, the two-player version of the game because in the two-player version, you could pick your turtle if you don't always want to be the same one. So there is a little bit of uh, fussing around with settings like that, but it's been relatively simple. You don't need to know much Linux at all.
1: All right. To recap, Console Wars, Sega, Nintendo, and the Battle that Defined a Generation by Blake J. Harris was the book club book of the year. Out of 10, I would give this book a 9.3. There you go. Very high rating very high rating ps4
2: by the way I, yeah. I had a ps3 and i bought it largely for the same reason you did uh is it was my blu-ray player too yeah that's how i justified it and i still have my ps3 i don't think i'll make the jump to the ps4 anytime soon but they did just announce that the last of us 2 is coming out and that i that was one of the last big titles that released for the ps3 and i loved it and I, it's one i actually bought i think i owned like five games through the course of owning the ps3 but that was one of them and it was awesome well a
1: great thing happened for anyone who wants to buy a ps4 but isn't a huge huge gamer and that's that this thing called the ps4 pro came out so all the huge huge gamers want the ps4 pro oh so they're selling so they're selling their ps4s for a really low price yeah so i got you know a ps4 with a controller with games loaded on it for just over 200 bucks yeah you know, for, so for, to me, it's like, well, let's say I was going to go out and buy a Blu-ray player. Well, that's got to be at least $150, right? 100 bucks, whatever. Yeah, sure. So barely more, I get to play, you know, the next generation of video games. Yeah. You know, so it just worked out. But All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with uh, John Lopez. All right, our next guest today is originally from San Antonio and is a graduate of Texas A&M. He's the host of In the Loop on Sports Radio 610 and The Sports Zone Unfiltered. He's an author and he's a good guy making his second appearance on the podcast today. The first since 2011. A warm welcome uh, to John Lopez. How's it going, John?
0: Oh man, you know the way to a guy's heart playing that song, man. <laughs> That's uh, that's uh, that'll bring a tear to the eye.
1: Yeah, maybe the first pick in the draft this year, huh?
0: How about that? We actually had Miles Garrett on our radio show yesterday, which was really, really good to get him on. And uh, yeah, you know the Aggies. I think about two or three number two overall picks, but never a number one. And he just might be it.
1: Hey, Von Miller was probably the last second overall pick they had, right?
0: Yeah, I think they had Von Miller. I don't know if you remember Quentin Corriott.
1: Yep, yeah, uh, Colts. He was
0: he was number two overall, and I think was was Jake Matthews number two overall. One, uh, there was another one. I don't know who it was, but yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, obviously, you know, Miles is going to be either one, two, or three.
1: It sounds like the Browns are in love with them. I'm going to be surprised, especially with them having the 12th pick. I'd be surprised. I mean, there, yeah. a lot can happen, but I'd be a little surprised if they reach for a quarterback at 1. I, I my guess is they sounds like they love the kid. Maybe they go there and then see what happens at 12, you know.
0: Yeah, but, absolutely because that what that, that second pick that you talked about in the first round is just huge
1: because yeah. you're
0: going to be able to to hedge a little bit and cuz if you get the quarterback at number 1, you won't get Miles Garrett at number 12.
1: No, 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 no. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think if you don't pick him by by 2, like you said, you might not be getting him at 3. He's not going to be He's not going to be lasting long for sure.
0: Every everybody down here is real uh, anxious about what the Titans are going to do because they're another team that has two first round picks. If somehow they move up, if the Bills pass on, uh, excuse me, the Browns pass on uh, Garrett, uh, the rumor is that the Titans are going to move up to two or three and grab Miles Garrett, and then they're still going to get Deshaun Watson. I think they have the 18th pick and try to use some other picks to move up and get. Get both Miles Garrett and Deshaun Watson, both of whom, you know, conceivably could be one overall.
1: What was the the mood overall with uh, Texans fans after? I mean, they got a playoff win, but I'm sure the fans kind of feel like, yeah, we might have got that win, but the pessimistic fans are like, but we wouldn't have got that win if Carr was there, you know. So maybe that's, even, that even even the yeah yeah that's even got,
0: optimistic even optimistic fans. Know the story now. It's the same old story. You can go back three years when Bill O'Brien got here. They had a real good defense. They had a good running game because Aaron Foster was still playing well. Right. They, you know, they had a, a great receiving core with Andre Johnson and a young DeAndre Hopkins. But they didn't have a quarterback. Three years later, you've got the exact same crap. Good defense. Good receiving core. Good running game, and no quarterback. It's it's really incredibly frustrating that uh, the, uh, the, the Bill O'Brien has the team back at square one because Brock Osweiler is simply not going to be the quarterback for the Houston Texans next year. He won't. Now, he might be on the roster because of the salary, but he's not going to be the guy.
1: Right. It seems like, you know, if you if you were a quarterback for the Texans, it seemed like the first thing that you would say to yourself is, you know, if I'm going to be successful here, I should try to get the ball to, to Hopkins. You know, and it seems yeah. like for whatever reason, that was just something that Osweiler could not do consistently.
0: Well, he's, he's not accurate. Uh, you know, he's got – people talk about his his height maybe being a detriment, you know, that he gets, you know, flustered when you bring pressure. He's got a, a little bit of he – loses, he loses his mechanics uh, on certain throws. Like 80% of the time, he's got good mechanics, and then 20% it just goes out the window. But it all comes down and to one single thing. He's not consistently accurate. And in the NFL – you know what was open in college when when you were a quarterback is covered. You know, open is is just a a small window, and he can't put it in that window a lot, and it's just killing this team. And then and then Bill O'Brien lost confidence in him, so he was really checking down everything. It, it's uh, it, it was just a spiraling out of control thing, and for them to win a playoff game and to go to New England was just a testament to how great this defense was, and great without J.J. Watt.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, and and maybe a testament to how poor the AFC South was as well. Um, yeah,
0: that for sure, uh, that for sure was the case. It was a weak division, but they're all gaining ground, you know. All yeah, three of
1: them. Yeah, you mentioned windows. Do you think the window is closing on Bill O'Brien, or do you think he's still got a little a decent sized rope there?
0: I think the best way to put it is the window is closing on the Bill O'Brien Rick Smith partnership. Uh, okay. He's the general manager and the head coach simply do not like each other. I mean, they can, they can shade it any way they want. They can put any spin they want on it, but they just don't get along. Now there've been a a number of great success stories in the NFL where that was still the case. They didn't didn't necessarily get along, but they either had an owner that stepped in and said, you're going to get along. We're going to make this work or themselves. They, they realized, you know, this isn't working, but let's, you know, they found a middle ground somehow. I don't think that they're finding that middle ground. So I think in the next two years, either Bill O'Brien is gone or Rick Smith is gone, and I would have to bet Bill O'Brien.
1: Interesting. You know, one thing that fascinates me as a kid who's grown up in Buffalo, New York, my whole life, we've never really been in the mix for hosting a Super Bowl, believe it or not. The the league has never never gazed its, <laughs> gazed its eyes upon uh, what is a beautiful city, but maybe not the nicest place to visit in February. Uh <laughs> yeah no. <just> kidding. <laughs> what uh what's the what is the city like right now? Knowing that the the football world is about to converge on it. I mean what what are the what are the what does the regular citizen think about something like this?
0: Well, you know, it, it really wasn't that long ago when we hosted a Super Bowl. It was 2003. It was right after the Texans uh, joined the league, and uh, I think it was two years after, and and they had NRG Stadium. And this city, you know, it, it's really, and, and obviously I live here, and, there, you know, you can think, you can think there's bias, but I grew up in San Antonio and I've traveled all over the country and I've been to, I don't know, I think 12 or 13 Super Bowls. So I, I'm speaking biased, but at the same time unbiased in the sense of of how cities put on games. The city of Houston knows how to put on a show because, frankly, the best testament to that is, the NFL should not have come back to Houston uh for any reason other than they know how to do a Super Bowl because you know we all know that the destination points, you know, the the cool panorama panoramic pictures that the networks like to to show on Super Sunday are in Miami and New Orleans and right. and even New York when they went there but uh, but Los Angeles and well the, the you know Houston is a gorgeous city but it's not necessarily the tourist destination you know, that uh, that these other hallmark cities are. Well, the only reason the NFL's back is because Houston knows how to do this. And, he, and, and it's, you know, all these stories that you get, whether it's an Olympic Games or a Super Bowl, you know, such and such city is just not ready. It's 30 days to the Super Bowl, and there's still construction, or there's still this, or they're not ready. Have you heard even one story like that about Houston? No. Even one? No. No, because the city, this city has is is born ready. There are no less than four or I'm counting in my head five stadiums that can seat you know fifty thousand people minimum in the city. There are there are you know hundreds of thousands of hotel rooms. I mean, it's one of those places where if a city ever cancels a Super Bowl a month before the game for whatever reason, Houston would be ready to host it. You know, it's just the infrastructure. Uh, you know, all that stuff—the hotel, uh, the stadium, uh, some of the sites, the restaurants. I mean, everybody knows the one thing about Houston is—you know—maybe one of the top five cities in, in the country for for restaurants. So, it, it's not a, a matter of hey, New Orleans is pretty, or it's, it's you know, or Bourbon Street or South Beach in Miami. It's like no, Houston knows how to do a Super Bowl.
1: Well, I think it was Will Leach, who is a Georgia guy. Uh, on sports on Earth yesterday, ranked all the Super Bowl cities, and I think he had Houston three. And he said that basically, what you did is that they just know how to throw events. No matter what the event yeah. is, it goes off without a hitch. Whether it's WrestleMania or a Frozen, uh, Final Four, or whatever it is, it's just the perfect city for events like that. So, Got to figure it out. I, know, I, I right could...
0: across, uh, literally across the street from the George R Brown Convention Center which is where it's going to be the hub you know radio row and media center and NFL experience literally across the street are at least seven hotels uh that you know have probably 6 or 7000 rooms apiece uh so so it's like okay we can walk everywhere so that's kind of what they do well
1: yeah yeah that's always it's always key it's like i heard all the complaints about the San Francisco Super Bowl how the NFL set everything up in San Francisco, but, like, the stadium's in Santa Clara, and that's that easy to get to, and you know how traffic can be in California, and that's when it becomes a disaster. What you described, yeah. and I think, you know, New Orleans, I think, has a similar setup as well. That's when it really works well is when everyone can just kind of stay in the same area. You mentioned you mentioned Radio Row, a guy who does radio in Houston. You guys going to jump into Radio Row, too, or do you, do you just keep your same routine, or What's what's the local media planning to? How is the local media planning to integrate with all the other media that will be converging on your city next week?
0: Well, I'm in a really good situation at uh, with CBS Radio here in Houston Sports Radio 610 is where I work. It's what uh, the station is called. We've been to Radio Row uh, every year for the last seven years. Uh, it's kind of our deal. Uh, okay. So yeah, now we're going to do it here in town. Uh, obviously, we're going to do it a little bigger as the hometown team, uh, market radio station. So, yeah, I've, I've been able to go to all of them, you know, Miami, Indianapolis, San Francisco, Arizona, New York, uh, uh, of the late Super Bowl, recent Super Bowls. It's really a cool deal. It's something that everybody in the industry should experience at least once.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's a huge thing on Radio Row this year. I mean, it's the last time Mike francesca will be on Radio Row. I That's, mean, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. right. So I think that that's that's kind of a cool thing just because you look at what him and Dog did starting in 1989 in New York City. You could really make an argument that they're the true pioneers of sports radio. It might not be what it is today if not for uh, what they created on the fan in 1989. And obviously they had their big breakthrough in 94, the year that the Rangers and the Knicks both went to the finals. Rangers won, Knicks lost in seven to the Rockets down in Houston there. Uh, but yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what uh, what Mike uh, how Mike uh, spends his last week on Radio Row.
0: Yeah, no, he absolutely is the reason a lot of people. He's he's the reason the industry has become the industry it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no question. There's no question about it.
1: Yeah, him and Dog, uh, an amazing show. Uh, a couple more things, and I'll let you go. Um, what about the matchup? Uh, Atlanta and New England are the teams that are coming down. Uh, And I don't mean... But what about the people of Houston? Is is it like, cool, that's our Super Bowl? Or is it like, ah, we would have rather seen... I mean, obviously, Texans' first choice. But beyond that, how does uh, does the local market reacting to the matchup itself?
0: I think uh, if you give most people truth serum, they wanted the Packers just because of star value. You know, Aaron Rodgers against Tom Brady and all that. But nobody is complaining. Uh, And I think the vast majority, at least of our listeners and people I've I've talked to, would like to see the Falcons, uh, you know, do something here and win the game. Uh, not necessarily because of hatred for the Patriots, which is always kind of a common theme outside of, outside of New England. But I think it's more like uh, there's a team, you know, that kind of the Texans can relate to. And Matt Ryan is such a good story. He's so, so good uh, and yet has never won it. So I think that's probably where the city is leaning, but uh, yeah, it's more the event that is really, uh, it, you know, most people are are enjoying.
1: The other Super Bowl you said was two thousand and three. So was that the New England and Carolina Super Bowl?
0: Yes, it was. Uh, that was uh, the wardrobe malfunction, right. and, and it's real funny. And it's real funny because uh, I was talking on the show this week. You know, we could have potentially the two most memorable half times uh in, in nfl history outside of you know the great michael jackson or whatever you want to say because lady gaga's talking about repelling or doing something from the roof you know that we saw right. all those stories this i heard week. that I'm like, yeah i'm like oh, oh oh my gosh lady gaga's gonna you know zip line down from the roof and, and her clothes is gonna all fall off and we're gonna have we're gonna be known as the wardrobe malfunction capital of the world
1: yeah, I was reading that, that, that it might be like a hundred thousand dollars to insure her to get on the roof, or something like that. It's like yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. That's but you know, hey, they are Houston already has one classic Super Bowl under their belt. So maybe for people who are just hoping for a good game, maybe you know, when you think back to that Super Bowl, I don't remember. How, it's it's eerie how similar they are too. I mean, you have New England again, and you have an NFC South team again. Just, right? Yeah. And then-
0: if you, want to, if you want to go a step further, uh, you know, you had, the, uh, you had in this game, you had Dolphins and Vikings way back at the very first Super Bowl in Houston. I believe it was 1973 or something, uh, or 71, at Rice Stadium. They had a Super Bowl, and that was the upstart. That was the mighty Miami Dolphins uh, against, uh, you know, the upstart uh, Vikings. Uh, so that was interesting, kind of similar there, too.
1: Well, John is uh, at Lopez on Sports on Twitter. You can find him there, and you've covered a million amazing events over the year, and I'm sh- and you've had to travel to them. I mean, whether it's Super Bowls or Final Fours or Finals or World Series, you've been to Olympic Games and World Cups. Uh, it must be nice to uh, have have the have the game coming to you this time. Uh, is there anything? Is. You, is there anything you want to promote? Uh, as far as our listeners, uh, to let them know anything you guys are doing, because obviously we can't turn you on on the radio, but easy enough to find you online and things like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's at Lopez on Sports on Twitter. We're going to be uh, tweeting live uh, on Radio Row. We also are going to be uh, webcasting via watchintheloop.com the entire programming of uh, Radio Row. So if you want to see, uh, i don 't know Joe Montana or whomever comes on in the mornings or on our show in the middays or whatever uh, you, you can go there and watch it and, and really uh, nothing much to promote other than uh, I hope people enjoy it
1: John, thank you so much for squeezing in some time to do this. I know we had a, 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 a it was a bust on my end there and you, you were really nice enough to accommodate and reschedule for me. I appreciate that. I hope you have a lot of fun with the uh, sports world converging on Houston and thank you so much for this time. Not a problem. Anytime. All right. I want to thank John Lopez and Luke Wynn for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can find this podcast and all of our podcasts on our SoundCloud page, www.soundcloud.com slash sports Dash casters. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher and all places where podcasts are found. If you're having trouble finding us, you can email us, thesportscasters at gmail.com. Let us know and we'll work on getting it straightened out. Maybe you want to tweet us, you can do that by tweeting at sports underscore casters or at Don Lake sports. The Lonely End of the Rink podcast featuring myself and Adrian Dater is new this week with Pete Weber, the voice of the Nashville Predators, and Kenny Agostino from the Chicago Wolves playing nine and 90.
2: All right. One last thing for me this week. Uh, So I got a new job and I was, uh, I was thinking like, what do you do? I haven't had a new job in forever. So like, should I bring like donuts and coffee type of thing? I don't like, is that a nice gesture? Does it look like I'm kissing ass? Like, I don't know the uh, the protocol for new job. Uh,
1: well, I think one thing you need to do is you need to find a way for me to humiliate you in front of your new co-workers.
2: <laughs> the way you did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was that was phenomenal.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> uh, years ago now, uh, me and Don's brother, Don's brother and I, Josh, had to pick Don up for a concert. So we pull up to the front of his work. And it's around lunchtime. It's probably planned out that we would pick him yeah, up around day, lunchtime. Right, yeah. you know. So there's a lot of people milling around, people coming in and out of the building, people standing around on smoke break. So I say, to Josh, I'm like, we should pick the most embarrassing song that we can find right now just and just blast. have it cranking. <laughs> so we decide that we're going to do the Whitney Houston song, I um, Have Nothing, I have Nothing yep. which if you know anything about this song, it has kind of like a punch-up moment. Yeah. Right? So me and Josh pull up. We got it blasting. But it's quiet blasting. And people are looking over at us and picking up to the strangeness of it and and kind of looking at us and thinking like, wow, that's a weird couple of candidates to be blasting that. So Diane comes out of the building, kind of looks up, sees us, kind of shakes his head. The second he goes to open the door the punch up moment comes and it just erupts from the car and yeah, everyone within it, a mile heard it and it, looked at him.
2: It was like if I were a professional wrestler and I had to pick, and I picked this Whitney Houston song, that's the part I would walk out to. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead. No, that was it. Like I, I, I don't know new job protocol. That'll be interesting for me. I've, I've had my other job for 13 and a half years now. Yeah. So two
1: it's Paula's donuts. Pause. Yeah.
2: Okay, I hit a pause on the way. Cause if you get,
1: like say, Tim, Tim Horton's, Hortons, yeah, that's just like a non gesture
2: it's like I stopped on the way, right, but yeah. if you
1: go and you get the best, yeah, and you bring the best, now you did something, you know, now you made yourself worthwhile,
2: yeah, there you yeah. go, all right,
1: so that's what I would do. I would do Paula's Donuts right, Paula. She's rolling
2: around the studio. <laughs> it's weird. Like, Adam Crowley sometimes will have his dog wander around the studio. And the dog, I mean, she doesn't quite jump up on people yet, but she is still kind of distracting a little bit because right. she's ridiculous.
1: All right. One last thing uh, for me and the podcast today. We often like to talk about what we watch on TV in this spot. You know, and I'm anxiously awaiting uh, Better Call Saul. You know, anxiously awaiting the season. There's been some teasers out there showing Gus.
2: Yeah, oh, it's so good. Did you
1: see the commercial for Gus's Chicken Place? I haven't. They made like a fake commercial for the chicken place that Gus runs as oh. like a teaser for the season. So we always talk about all these shows that are hits for us, and there's this show that's a huge hit called like The Two of Us or What is This Is This Is This us. Is Us. And my joke is that like I already watched This Is Us. It was fantastic. It was called Parenthood. Okay, And I watched six seasons of it, so I don't need to. seems
2: like a very heavy show. like
1: yeah, I mean it looks it looks like Parenthood. I think it has some similar people that Parenthood has uh, in terms of producers or something like that. Um, but sometimes you go to watch something and it's an epic bust. So get this done. One of the former winners of Big Brother and probably my favorite winner is this guy named Derek Levasseur. Okay, and he won Big Brother because he was a cop, and not only was he a cop, but he was like an undercover cop, and he did a really good job um, reading. You know, he was, he was just good at that part of it. So he got a show on ID Discovery ID or something, where him and a former LAPD cop reopened the OJ Simpson case. And we're going to set out to try to prove O.J.'s innocence. It was kind of their angle. Like they, The the assumption is, is that the LAPD locked in on O.J. Okay. And examined the evidence to prove his guilt. So they were going to go out to prove his innocence. Gotcha. So it's a six-part series. They did it over three days, two shows a day. What was it called? Uh, I think it was called...
2: Um, uh, this doesn't even sound remotely
1: familiar to me. Well, it's on a generic network. Oh, okay. I mean, it's on Discovery ID, whatever. I n- never heard of the network. Gotcha. It's like Discovery Channel Two, you know, and not uh, the main Discovery <laughs> right. Channel, but some other channel they have. I don't remember the name to be honest. But so it's six hours of absolutely nothing. Okay. I mean they have nothing of new relevance. They walk around Los Angeles for six hours. The, the main, there's this main like, private investigator who it's his life passion to prove that Jason Simpson did it. Okay. So they spend a lot of the time on this show basically trying to prove Jason's either guilt or innocence. And in the end, they have nothing on Jason. They have nothing on any other individual who walked the streets of Los Angeles. And they have no new or credible information that would prove anything or disprove anything that you already thought about it so basically it's a six hour investment that ends with you saying oh all right
2: so you stuck it out for the whole thing well yeah i mean you get once you you watch three of them you watch
1: the first hour and you're like well they're just getting going okay you know
2: now this was fictional or non-fiction like
1: no it's non-fiction oh okay these are legitimate cops who went back okay. to Los Angeles oh, wow. and reopened the investigation the way any investigation would reopen.
2: I thought it was some sort of narrative, like flip the script. and oh, No, I mean, okay, these wow. guys
1: were literally trying to prove that wow. OJ didn't do it. And the, the suspect they were going to focus on, the funniest thing is they got this guy to emerge who claims he witnessed it. Really? That he was in the alley, but he was afraid the police would think he did it. So he didn't come forward. He's got this story saying he saw two people and uh, it it was just a mess. Just an epic waste of time.
2: (laughs) So that will not be one of the documentaries of the year at the Oscars or anything?
1: No, No. it was an epic waste of time. But I guess, you know, sometimes that happens.
0: Drop the ball
2: On a crowd Out in Times Square
0: Midnight took the fall For the faithful Strangers there Me, I'm hanging out With Johnny Walker
3: Once again
0: Catching up with old friends who knew me way back when, and we will raise a glass to
2: bygone days when our lucky stars
0: aligned. i